the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome back to season three of the Instructor Podcast and today we are presenting the first edition of The Green Room since we've come back and this is episode 16. You'll be delighted to hear that it's not just me, I am joined by two amazing people in Chris Spencer of the DITC and Fairy Test Explained. How are we doing Chris? All's good, yes. Uh, also joined by Dan Hill of My Drive Time and committee member of the ADINJC. How are we doing, Dan? Very well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm always pleased when I get that, those letters in the right order. <laughs> I, I love the fact there's just more letters for you to have to remember. <laughs> I mean, yeah, too many times I have to ask you to clarify what they mean. And I think sometimes they're actually a word, and I just assume it's letters, but either way. Anyway, we're delighted to be back with The Green Room, and we're going to kick off today talking about the lifting of restrictions, because uh, this week, as we're recording, the uh, government has decided to remove all restrictions on everything, everywhere, and the DBSA has followed suit, because clearly COVID is no longer an issue, and I'm going to try really hard not to be too political, but essentially it means regarding driving tests and lessons masks are no longer mandatory you don't have to tell examiners you're wearing a mask examiners can't turn you away if the car's not clean you don't you can take a test with covid if you want to take a test with covid that's completely fine you are more than welcome to do that and i'm going to throw this straight over to christopher and just talk about it a little bit i'm in trouble because you're calling me christopher (laughs) um parents so yeah i We've already come across the one of the issues, which is driving instructors are having to make a big decision as to where they stand because we've removed guidance. So we, we've gone back to apparent normal. I will I will just add that uh, part. I'm told there's slightly mixed um, information coming through. Part twos, part threes, you can't sit in the back of yet. Um, so outside that, but L test stuff is all. Norm, normality um and if your car is really dirty no you're not going out still but um you know it is it is what it was before um but then instructors as you said you could go with covid and teach lessons and go to the test center um there's a real you know it, we're not dealing with legalities now we're not dealing with um dvsa judgment on fit and proper risk and all of that stuff it's what do you think as a as an instructor are you are you happy to potentially infect your pupils what's the short-term loss long-term loss short-term gain long-term gain and it's a conversation i've had at least twice in in this week and I've, i've tried to not be judgmental on it and and just be analytical on it and say this is where you're at. My concern is liability and the fact that if you pass it on to an examiner, you're going to be cursing that you've lost a week's worth of tests because they're not self-employed. They're going to take as much time off as they need. So I think there's there's things there. Let's uh, let's pass across to Dad and uh, I can I can see, see see a lovely look on his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the problem for me is that um, I'm probably in the minority when it comes to the way that you know COVID, um, COVID um, attitudes and beliefs and opinions um, than most other people. I know that you know, a lot of people are very much like um, uh, you know caution first, safety first, everything safety, 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 and and that's just not the way I am as a, as a person. You know, I'm very cautious to safe when I believe it's appropriate to be so. But for me, there's absolutely balance. 
um, in any of these things. And it's, it's interesting what you were saying, Chris, you know, the language that you're using, where you're saying things like, um, you know, and I'm not saying it verbatim, I should have written it down. Um, but, you know, where you're saying, are, are you happy to, to potentially infect your students? It's like, you know, if you ask that of an instructor or any human being, they're not going to turn around and say, yes, I'm absolutely delighted to be infecting my students. And neither, I think, would they do so willingly or knowingly. Neither would, you know, none of us would. Um, and, I, and I just think that sometimes I think we're in danger within our society and the world in general of just being very overzealous when it comes to feeling like we've got to, you know, just wrap ourselves in this cotton ball and just not even interact with any member of society in case any risk happens to present itself. And, and, and I'm just, that's just not my opinion. So I think we've got to be, all, all I say, I just think we've got to be really careful with the language that we use as a collective. But the, the two instructors I've spoken to had positive tests. Do they still go to work? No, of course not. Well, they but, have. That's why I'm using that language, because they are potentially going to infect those pupils. It's not, I might have COVID, it's I've got COVID, but I can't afford to have any more time off work. Yeah. I, you know, uh, because I've got a test or whatever their reasoning is, it is potentially infecting. It's yeah. not going to Tesco's and there might be someone there who's got it. It's I have COVID and I'm making a choice that is going to possibly have knock-on effects that I don't even necessarily know because I know my pupil, but I don't know what their situation is. Yeah. So uh, the, the problem is that legality has been moved away. We've got nothing to base it on except for what you think at that moment in time. But shouldn't it that be what shouldn't that be what it is though, Chris? Shouldn't it be everybody making a conscious judgment call at that moment in time? Yes, totally. Right. So so what the government's saying to us is we're now not gonna we're not going to impose upon you and, and limit your freedoms to choose and make and make conscious decisions. We're gonna let you do that as sensible human beings. We know that the vast majority of human beings aren't always sensible, right? But 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 it's a, it's a for me, this is a contract between each and every one of us that live in this country, right? Where we say, look, if I had the flu or I had a really bad cold, would I get in that car? Would I get in that car and still do that test? And why is that any worse than me having COVID and getting in that car and doing that test? Right. So, and we're all going to have our opinions. We're all going to have varied, colourful opinions about what's right, what's wrong, what's what's too high risk, what's too low risk. We're all going to have that. But I, you know, all, all I'm saying is that surely the student gets to choose whether they get in the car. The examiner, you know, the, the examiner is more at risk. The student gets to choose whether they get in that car. Right. If the instructor turns up and they say, "Look, I know we're going to your test, but I've got COVID," they don't have to tell them. Well, you know, but if they, okay, so if they're getting in the car, it, okay, before COVID existed, if they got in the car and they had streaming nose and they had puffy eyes and they had, they were complaining of a headache because they had the flu and they got in the car to take a student's test because again, they can't afford not to do it. Mm -hmm. What, what would, what would people have done? What, what would people have thought about that pre-COVID? Yes. The, the, the thing is what's being communicated um, the the questions being asked by instructors are: Do I need to tell anyone? Because actually, I haven't got any symptoms. I've just yeah. got a positive test. I've had a bit yeah. of a tickle. I thought I'd do a test just to prove I haven't got it, and yeah. there's a bloody red line on the thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it's that moment of going. 
what do I do? And it's really reminiscent of the beginning of the whole process, which was a different thing. You know, when, when we look at it, the we're past in most people's cases, and, and I know some, you know, there's some some really, really upsetting exceptions, but across the majority of people, we're at the point of actually it's the same as flu probably less so from what i'm hearing from people yeah um, you know it's it's a nasty headache it's i'm feeling a bit rough for a few days you know and that's brilliant we're we've, we've moved to that point but then it's what's our responsibility and i think there's a real positive that there's been a change in instructors understanding of what their responsibility is that actually they're, they're looking at what is my risk? What is, what is my responsibility to my pupils? And what comes under fit, fit and proper, whatever that means, I still don't know. And, you know, I'm kind of supposed to. Uh, I keep asking for a definition. Um, is is there a, a risk from fit and proper? If I go, and I'll apologise now, deliberately infect an examiner. So if, if I've gone along to the test centre, I know I've got COVID. The examiner gets gets it and, you know, is there a threat to my badge? Would they deem that not fit? No. We don't know. We, don't we do know. We do know, Chris, because there's zero way that you can guarantee that you were the person who gave him COVID. They can judge the fact that as an instructor, I chose to come along with a positive diagnosis. But they can't legally judge that, surely, because it's now possible for you to do that without legal ramifications. And there's no way you can turn around and say you were absolutely responsible for doing it. Lots of stuff that, as an instructor, you gets deemed as being under fit and proper, and what the majority do is they avoid being part of that by by you know playing it safe, and that fit and proper thing is not there is not a definition. It's it's down to the, what the registrar thinks is acceptable, and the problems that are caused by it. You know, it, it would just be really nice if we knew exactly where the lines were drawn. And I don't I, I I genuinely believe that it wouldn't be a problem. But I also know that there is nothing in writing that says what fit and proper is. And actually, if you're making decisions that are deemed to be inappropriate by a re- by one person, the registrar, which then you would have to go through the appeals and it probably would get thrown back and you'd get your badge back and it's all or keep your badge and it's all fine. But you've got to jump through those hoops. And that's the threat that instructors face with every little thing that comes along when it's to do with dealing with the DVSA. So, so, so is this a case then where you're calling for the DVSA to provide clearer guidance on when they should and shouldn't operate with COVID? Let's go back to... to the situation when it was we were not told that we couldn't work but it was very heavily suggested that we shouldn't be and you might if you were out working and you got pulled and you got you know a a a ticket or whatever it was for it then that might affect on and it's all mights and maybes yeah absolutely not fair there was nearly another f in there that's really not fair. That upsets me because we should, we, we're in we're in an industry where it's black and white. It's the rules. It's the highway code. I'm sure we're going to come on to. Um, <laughs> You're saying that's black and white. Okay, it, fair enough. It's beautifully black and white. Is it? Okay. And then we inject human beings into it. Um, and unfortunately, I think it should fit and proper needs to be more black and white. I really think it should. 
weirdly, I agree with both of you. And I hate myself for having to say that because I want to be on one side or the other so I can shout at one of you. But I actually agree with both of you. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. When I make my point now. I think that the right to lift most of the restrictions, I will also caveat this by saying I am neither an actual politician nor a scientist. So this is the opinion of someone who is really good at a football manager and drives about a bit, right? So that's this is me. So... I think that they were right to lift the restrictions, except for the one that basically says you can go for a driving test with COVID. I think that as much as it's come down in terms of risk and it's more flu slash cold-like than it is deadly, it is still more deadly than a common cold. And I think that just to waive that completely and be like, do what you want, it's like saying, let's take 30 signs off the road. There's enough people that ignore the 30 signs as it is and I think if we took all 30 signs off the road, then, you know, think about how many people ignore them even more. So I think that that's my concern. And also, for me as an instructor, I'll kind of put where I stand now. I've always told my students when I've got a cold, and this was before COVID, I've always said, I've got a cold. If you don't want to be psych with me, let me know. I don't mind. I've always said that. And I've always said, let me know. And I'm sure one or two have taken me COVID years, said, oh, I've got a cold, Terry, or whatever. And sometimes I call the bluff. I'm like, yeah, I don't care, whatever, I'm coming. But I'll just tend to use that as an excuse for a day off sometimes if they say they've got a cold. But it's that that communication. The communication could have been simply, you have to take a test before you go, uh, take a COVID test before you go for your driving test and register the results. The exam then has the option whether they do the test or not. You, even that, that's better than saying, saying nothing i think that's where i am the other thing i will say just around this far throw back over to you guys is the the i think the the only thing i'm not endorsing yet and and i'm, I'm glad they've done it but the thing i'm not embracing is sitting in back on tests and this is just me personally i think that as i get in the car with more people i'm gonna i'm starting to feel more uneasy and i think i need to need a little bit longer before i can feel comfortable being sat in the back with my student, another uh, an examiner, and even potentially bloody someone sitting back with me assessing the examiner. So I, I've no problem with other people doing that, but I'm not quite comfortable enough for that. But yeah, that that that's my take on that. I, th- I think with regards with regards sitting in the back, I really feel for PDIs and new ADIs that haven't been able to. So I think there you've still got the choice. Yeah. You can say actually I'm not going to um and and you know and this is why and and we work like we've always worked you know um with situations where we were and haven't done that i i just feel that um that it's the thing that all the way through from the very very beginning if we can remember that um that we as instructors haven't had it's the bit that hasn't been fair and I don't. I, I've avoid. I haven't liked the word fair all the way through because do you know what? None of it's been bloody fair. It's just how it's been. But actually, that's where we. They could have been more fair with us, and and it's highlighted that about this this magical, you know, cure all thing of fit and proper, and not really sussed what it is. And and the rest of it. I, I, I think I agree with 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 both of you. I, I you know I think that we've got to get on with it. We've got to do all of those things, but it, it is you know I 
I, I know that Dan looks at things and goes, what do I think? What do I feel the judgment is? And, and then I'll go with it. And he goes with his judgment. Um, Terry, I know you do the same because we've discussed it numerous times. It's when we haven't got that information that I think we should have to make that decision. Um, I think that's when, you know, there's that thing, which is with pupils is great when you've got that that trust and responsibility. We've always had that as an issue with alcohol. It's the same thing of, you know, if a pupil's going to go out the night before and come out and and you tr- you trust them and you have that faith in them until they prove otherwise. Um, we just don't want to get to the bit point where we find out otherwise and, and we're suffering for it. I did find it interesting because I had a test this week. We actually went in the test centre and it was like, wow, it's like hallowed ground all of a sudden. But it was interesting when the examiners come down, there were six of them, five wearing masks and one not. And then um, the... The uh, the exam that took my student out, the student was saying she's sort of cleaned all the car down. And I know they've said that's their choice, but I found it interesting they were doing that. And she asked for the back windows down as well, which, again, there's no problem with that. I just found it interesting that – and that was when we're talking about judgment. You've got some examiners there that are doing it and some that aren't, and I think that's brilliant. I think that that's their personal choice. now, And as long as they're okay with the student getting the car and saying, can I have the windows down, I think that that all works nicely uh, have you got anything else to add on to that Dom? um yeah i mean i'd just say that I, I think you've just hit the nail on the head there terry really that i think with all of this in any walk of life alone driving tests um and instruction that there has to be um that we, we have to rely on people's common sense and their ability to understand the the social contract we have with each other if i know i've if i have covid i'm going to take steps to not be around other people to infect them, even though we all know that, you know, my wife had COVID um, and my daughter did at the same time in my house, and yet my son and, and I didn't, and we made no steps to, to self-isolate from each other when we were within that house. So there are always going to be strands of grey within anything that we do here. And what I think I like is the fact that, you know, as long as nobody is detrimentally punish or you know punish detrimentally um for the decisions that they make if they want to be over cautious or they want to be over risky then it's then it's on them but but you can't you know i think one of the things that that, that, that covid has has made me realize is is to try not to judge or be so quick to judge um you know because uh, especially in the sort of first lockdown when people were saying why has my neighbor been out twice today um and doing all that kind of stuff and i was just like oh just get off your high horse so you know they might have a natural reason why they need to they might have a relative around the corner who's poorly and really needs their help and you've got no idea so who are you to judge why don't you go out and ask them if everything's okay and if they need some help rather than being so quick to judge which is what we do in this society these days i think um what you were saying about the test center again you know i i i, I kind of feel like if, you know, I'd be interested to know if those five or six instructors that came down, how many of them felt that they needed to wear a mask for the reassurance of others and how many wanted to for their own as a, as a result of their own personal choice. Um, and I think it's going to be fascinating in society to see how we all come out of this. And, you know, we're going to turn into a Japan where 75 percent of people are wearing masks through choice all the time when they're in public. Or are we going to go back to where we were kind of more before, where there's only sort of two or three and, and we all kind of raise our eyebrows a little bit, trying not to judge, but still doing it because that's what we do. Um, so I think it's I think it's um, fascinating 
I just think we've got to be really careful not to assume that someone has given someone else COVID when it could be absolutely anyone that you talk to or frequent or pass at any given time, right? Um, so I think that's where where I kind of sit on that. A quick question to you guys, though, because I don't know this. I'm not a driving instructor myself, so I don't know. But um, I always felt that the inability for you guys to sit in the back of cars um, during tests was, like Chris, I, I personally thought that was the worst part of it. I thought it was really unfair for the student and for the instructor. You know, does the, does the examiner allow more time to talk to you at the end of a test about what happened during that test than they might otherwise have done? because they know that you couldn't sit in the back of the car and assess it yourself? No. Should they? <laughs> Quite often there'll be a where one of my test centres is in Leeds in Horsworth and they park on the main road rather than the, the car park. By the time I get to the car, often they're in bloody test centre. Right. So no, they've not, not given an extra time there. One thing I will just say before we move on from this, uh, again, I, I agree with a lot of what you were saying there. I think it... We make our decisions as human beings based on our experience or, or our own personal circumstance, personal circumstance a lot of the time. So, for example, I'll you know lay mine on the table. My wife has multiple cirrhosis and asthma. My stepson's got asthma. My mum's she's got had cancer. She had a lung removed. So all this stuff, especially earlier on, Michael, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to look after these two in house. They take priority. I can't risk them. So I think that. Ju- you know, steered the way I went a lot. Whereas someone that's maybe had no bad experience with COVID or maybe someone's lost someone through COVID, they're going to have a very different outlook on it. So I massively agree with what you're saying there. Just because someone looks upon it one way doesn't mean they're wrong mm-hmm. or you're right or vice versa. It's, I think sometimes we need we not make brass decisions based on just what we're seeing. But that was a nice, spicy Way to start. start. It looks like an episode of Decapod, that. Um, so, but let's take a moment to set the table. So I am Terry Cook. Obviously, I am the host of the Instructor Podcast, and this is The Green Room, number 16, where we dive into industry-specific topics, and it's great to be back with season three of The Instructor. If you are enjoying these, make sure you head over to www.theinstructorpodcast.com, where you can find all the back back catalogue of episodes. You can find blogs, you can find the guest profiles, and you can find all the stuff for the Instructor Podcast Premium as well. So over to the Instructor Podcast Premium for £10 a month, you will get loads of bonus content. I'm not going to run through it all now, and you'll also get discounts for things like, I'm going to wince him when I'm saying this now, because I know it was on call me. You'll get discounts for things like Bob Martin's Client Set of Learning and, and Go Roddy. Um, but that's it for now. Um we're also joined as a regular guest of the show, Chris Benstead. So, Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and where people can find more Chris goodness? I um, run the DITC co-run, if Ian's listening, but I do all the hard work. And I, uh, the DITC is a platform for information and uh, support for driving instructors um, trying to bring the industry together so that you can find what you need when you need it. Uh, awesome things like the Instructor Podcast and like My Drive Time and all of the other people out there that need to be able to get hold of you as an instructor to then be able to show you what they've got to offer. Because if you can't find it, you can't make a good decision. So it's it's knowing what's there. And that is, for me, that's the worst thing about the industry. We, we, we just, we don't have a go-to 
we haven't had a go-to. We've now got the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective. Yes. So that, that's what it's going to be. Um, we're busy working on a directory, which is going to list things like the Instructor Podcast and My Drive Time and others, so that you can go through and see what you're missing. If you listen to the show, you know that I'm a big fan of the DITC, and you will find links for that in the show notes. But I'm also joined, as I'm sure you'll be aware, by Daniel Hill of My Drive Time. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, Dan, and a little bit about where people can find you and what you do? Yeah, so um, I am the guy who is behind the My Drive Time um, app um, for uh, that, that is designed to help driving instructors with their business admin predominantly um digitalizing or digitizing driving instructors is is our primary focus has been since we launched back in 2014 we were the first app of our kind to to to, to create what we've created um and you know sort of forged a path for others to follow which is good um for the industry really because um ultimately you know i've come i've come into an industry from a software and a business development background right so you know, to, to help uh, companies or people to to operate better, to, to run things more efficiently, to save time and 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 therefore be able to do what they love um, more uh, than, than than the boring admin side of the job. Um, my wife is a driving instructor. She qualified in 2008 and my drive time really came off the back of needing to help her to manage, you know, the admin part of the business. The, the bit that when you become a driving instructor is often not really mentioned um, until all of a sudden somebody says you've got to start doing your own tax returns and you're like, well, I don't know what to do. So um, my drive time helps with all of that, all, all aspects of the admin, helps you to share data with your students. Um, and we're currently working on a, on a brand new version of, of our app, which we're massively excited about. We think it's going to be a real huge game changer. Um, so they can find details of that and find access to me at mydrivetime.co.uk. Um, in addition to that, I also um, volunteer on the uh, governing committee of the ADI NJC, the AD Approved Driving Instructor National Joint Council. Most people just refer to us as the NJC, though, I think, because it's just easier, um, although you'd think that they'd understand the first part of that anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've spent four years writing monthly articles for the Intelligent Instructor magazine. So, you know, very vested in this industry, mainly because my wife is in it and I want to help her be better. Um, and to to you know to, to modernise because it's it's really important. So yeah, that's me. I had um, Lynn Barry on the show last year, uh, the yeah. chair of the the NGC. And at one point, sort of halfway through the podcast, she went, "Terry, just call it the NGC. You'll find it easier." <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of just kept butchering it. Uh, but yeah, you'll also find links to my drive time in the show notes, and you can find it on the website. So if you want to find more from Dan or from Chris, uh, my drive time or the ITC, head over to theinstructorpodcast.com and you can get all the additional stuff over there. But let's dive into something else because, as usual in our industry, nothing controversial happens. There is nothing that stirs debate. Um, so the, when the highway code changes came in, about you know cyclists and how they now rule the road and how pedestrians are allowed to step out in front of you and then claim when you run them over. Um, nothing controversial. I'm intrigued to know, uh, have we actually seen that being implemented by drivers? Have we seen an impact? Are our people ignoring it? Are they complaining about it? I'm going to throw to you this one first. And because uh, have you seen it while you've been out driving? What have you heard from your wife as an instructor? Um, yeah, I'm... Um... It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. I was, I was driving this lunchtime um, on the way back to the office, and 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 
sort of tried to take notice of this and found that whenever I approached a junction where there were people around, um, that it was it was a, 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 there was trepidation um, on both sides of the, <laughs> both inside the car and outside the car. And I think this is part of the problem is that um, whilst we can put in black and white, we can put in print how we should, as road users, or you know, be it pedestrian, a cyclist, or a driver, how we should how we should operate. Um, the long and short of it is that the vast majority of the British public won't even know these changes have happened. Um, even if they do know, they won't have taken the time to actually learn what they are. Um, and even if they have done that, they may well have looked at them and found some of the guidance and advice ambiguous. Um, so, which is why I made the comment earlier when Chris said about the highway code being black and white, because, you know, I'm sure he meant it in a slightly, probably a slightly facetious way. But, you know, when I look at it and I'm reading through it and it's like, you know, it, there are too many shoulds and not enough must, if that makes sense, in terms of in terms of what it's trying to do. But I, I'm, I advocate change, um, I think, you know, but 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 not for change's sake. And I think that with more cyclists on the road, with busier roads, it's important that we look after. I, I, I said to my wife this lunchtime when we met for lunch that um, when we were crossing the road and she, we were actually on a, 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 a um, um, I'll get this right, a puffing crossing. And I said, well, why is it called a puffing crossing? And she said, because it's puff intelligent. That's how she explains it to her students, because it waits. It's got cameras that check the roadway to, to let, you know, and, and the lights don't change until there's no one on it. And so, you know, every day's a school day. But even though we were on that and the lights were red, she started hurrying me across the crossing because there were cars either side. And I'm like, what's going on? And she said, oh, you know, we've got, we've, we've got to be quick. And, and I said, look, man before machine, uh, which is what I've always lived my life by, man before machine. Because even within a machine, there is a man driving it. And they have no right to get anywhere any quicker than I have just because they are in a metal box. So I, I think the long and short of it is that I'm a, I, I welcome change that helps to protect people. Obviously, we all do. But for me, it's not necessarily about what that change represents. It's how that change gets communicated to the wider public. And my fear is that it's going to take a generation um, for attitudes on roads to adapt. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's difficult to, 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 to see how that's going to happen any quicker unless the government changes the way it communicates with 65 million people which, you know, not necessarily 65, but close enough to that um, in terms of the changes that it's making, especially when they're kind of a little bit peripheral, no, no less important, but peripheral to, you know, the, 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 the fundamental highway code. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I'm hoping that um, pedestrians get the right of way in that, but, but there's still that kind of, there's a, again, it's about social contract, right? It's about how we decide to act as human beings. Now, if I'm on the road and I see some pedestrians coming towards me, I'm more likely just to stop and let them go because, you know, it's just a nice thing to do. And I think we're really fortunate in this country that by and large, and a lot of people will scoff when I say this, by and large, most drivers are pretty courteous uh, when it comes to, you know, you know your white van driver aside who's obviously late for everything and 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 is more important than everyone else um, most people on the road i think are quite courteous and that's not the case in many other countries so i think really yes we can always criticize but sometimes it's nice to step back and just say actually as a society we've done pretty well with this but yeah anyway i'll hand over you're never going to pass your standards check down because you're generalizing all white van drivers <laughs> are, you know um so i know i i think that a couple of interesting things that the, the trepidation is i think part of the solution 
by change to change people to make them think and stop and think you know to to link the two covid scared the crap out of everybody so they've reconsidered life they we realized that actually financially we're at risk and what would happen if we couldn't work so you can't find instructors that are working weekends and evenings for love nor money um because you know they're, they're all changing the way that they're doing it the same thing with the highway code i think that trepidation in a way makes people you're highlighting danger you'll get you're saying maybe that car will stop and maybe it won't let's look at what that car's doing and respond to it the issue is exactly what you said, communication, and, and it comes down to that. So um, I, I think um, Terry possibly inadvertently said exactly exactly what the situation is, which I made a note of, uh, which was we, we make our decisions based on experience and circumstances when we were talking about the COVID situation. It's the same thing with the driving situation, and that's where the problem is. I love the fact that driving instructors who normally have been there, done it and seen it on the road are in a situation that replicates what the learners having to go through of going, we don't have the experience of how this thing works. So we've got nothing to draw on and the circumstances are different every time. So there isn't the, you know, the potential definite line being drawn it's going well, but it, it depends, and and that's that is what we do, and it's what we've always done. It's really pushing it in our faces of as going, you know, what can we liken it to? I think th- there's only really two changes um, that I think are relevant, which is the pedestrians at at junctions, the big argument uh, about what about roundabouts? Yes, I know roundabouts are a junction, but you know. There's some whacking great roundabouts that I wouldn't dream of stopping at in a million years, and there's others that yes, I would. So that's the circumstances around it, and not all roundabouts are the same, even though we've never been taught how to teach them. And it's those factors. I, I I'm finding it really interesting. I'm I'm loving it. Um, I I just think it's a blooming shame that the DBSA took the cheap option and didn't rewrite the high, whole highway code. They just patched some bits. Does the whole highway code need rewriting? Do you think? Yes, because it's out of date and and it's well. I'll, I'll start with the theory test. We'll rewrite that first, but mm. after that, yes, I think it would be lovely if we had a modern version of the highway code. Um, maybe get the guys from Top Gear to do it. That'd be fun. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Um, just just as a, a point of note, so when I was reading through the changes earlier, I noticed that one of the um, sentences says, pedestrians may use any part of the road and use cycle tracks as well as the pavement unless there are signs prohibiting pedestrians. So does that mean that if I'm maybe feeling a little bit naughty, I could I could walk down the middle of a road, stopping all the traffic and legally do that? And nobody could moan at me because I can just point to the highway code, which says I may use any part of the road. You would have a lot of people moaning, aren't you? I would. <laughs> no change there, then. <laughs> it also says that you 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 need to be safe. The problem is we're looking at individual rules, hence it's been patched. Yeah. It, we've got to read the whole book. Otherwise, you know, um, if... In any situation, you're you're not looking at the big picture. Um, World War Two starts. World War Two started because 
No, it didn't. It was it was a climate. It was an issue. I hope we're not going to then start having the conversation, um, you know, next time we all meet about World War Three. But it is, it's a climate. It's not a situation. It's not a one thing, you know. And it is so often the where the the bit that you're not taught comes in of going. Well, let's talk about what actually happened and the risk and on all of those factors. This this isn't a changed topic from the previous one. It, it's just a changed subject. The the approach to it is exactly the same. And um, everybody should look after themselves. And yeah, we, we've already copied the, the the format of of the awesome Decapod podcast. You know, I'll, I'll refer to Bill and Ted. Be excellent to one another is all they need at the beginning of the Highway Code. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, a delicate balance that often relies on the oft absent laws of common sense is the way that I would, you know, is the way that I would probably uh, summarise it. But, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity in it. But I think the problem is, is that, you know, we're at the moment when they're talking about changes to the highway code. I can't generally remember the last time I read the highway code, probably when I was 17. So when you're putting in front of me specific changes that have happened, I'm going to look only at those specific changes. So I'm not encouraged or, or really incentivized to read the highway code generally. Maybe if I had to do a theory test every 10 years, then it would be different. But I don't. So I obviously don't read it. And I think as a society where we've got to now, because of the constant stream and abundance of, I'm, I'm going to stop short of calling it news and just call it information. You know, what, what, we're, what we do these days is we read headlines. We read the small piece of text. And we make our judgment based on that rather than actually bothering to read the rest of it and getting a more holistic view of what, what it actually means in context. So, you know, everyone's around sort of, uh, you know, putting their opinions on Brexit or the US election or COVID or whatever it might be based on a two, you know, a two line headline in the sun or the mirror or whatever paper you read. And, you know, the, the problem is that we don't take the time to read things in context these days. So anyway, we'll get from a safe box. Well, I think you're 100% right, though. Pretty much everything you've said, particularly about the the idea of having to retake your, your test. You know, you've not read it. I, when I passed my driving test, I didn't read the highway code again, so I looked at becoming an instructor. And it was only then when I started training, I suddenly realised, oh, I should have been reading this more frequently. <laughs> and, you know, if you made that test every 10 years, well, then you'd read it every 10 years. you make it annually, you'd read it annually, or at least do something annually. But I do need to touch back on a couple of things you said, Chris. Uh First of all, I work weekends and evenings. Really? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Honestly, I love working Sundays. My favourite day of week to work. I like doing two evenings because it adds variety to my week. Go on. Can, I, can I ask you, though, do you charge more for that time or do you charge the same as you would do during the day? I'm tempted to charge less because I enjoy it that much. Um, if, if I was doing it because I didn't enjoy, if I was doing it through necessity, then I would do. But it's purely mm. for my enjoyment. That, that's where that's where you and I will 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 have stern words over a cup of tea, Terry. <laughs> you know, in my mind, you know, if, if there's demand at any given time of the day, and there typically is probably more demand during weekends and evenings, you should be charging more money for your time. Mm, potentially, you I think that I've. Ne- it's not that often I get people coming to me that call and do weekends. Weirdly enough, I don't want to go down this road too much, but I'll often have people that are you know doing weekday lessons and move them to the weekend to take someone else in on the week. So yeah. it's 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 not that. It really is for my benefit more than anyone else's. That's um, 
But I also want to mention that whenever I say anything that's remotely intelligent, Chris, why do you always refer to it as inadvertent? Um, but <laughs> so purely because you were talking about something different at the time. It's not just this occasion. Um, <laughs> but no, for me, I I had a brilliant interaction with a student. Um, we were turning left uh, to go down a side road, and there's a pedestrian waiting on the right-hand side of the road we're turning into. And I'm watching the student, and she slowed down a little bit, but as if you were slowing down for the normal turn. She's seen what's behind, and she just carried on round. Didn't stop, didn't attempt to stop or anything. And I asked her, so should we have stopped for them? And she said, possibly. I said, why didn't you? She said, because the traffic coming the other way wasn't stopping. So what would have been the point? And I'm like, that's fucking perfect. That's that's it. You don't need to stop. That's a prime example of where you wouldn't need to stop because the other traffic isn't stopping. So the pedestrian can't walk across. So if you stop, no one else will be expecting you to stop. That's a real and I thought. It's kind of like you were saying before about the, the the learners have no experience in this situation. They learn it from scratch, and that's what she's taken on board. And I thought that was a, a brilliant way to read it. But that was the only occasion since the rules have been introduced where I actually had the instant where a pedestrian's been waiting to cross. And I think because everyone's been talking that much, I've suddenly forgotten that that rarely happens to me. I think I'm expecting it to happen every time I leave the house that someone will be waiting to cross the road, and it just isn't. And um, I I'm not a big fan of that particular rule change the bike ones i am actually but the 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 pedestrian crossing one uh, I'm, I'm not but i think that it's not as bad as anyone's making out and also going back to what i think both of you said really poor communication about it a lot of instances a few facebook posts and a couple of radio ads that's not going to communicate to the entire population and i think that Change significant change to the highway code, even if they're not bringing in annually or, or decadely tests, changes to the highway code should be met with online training that you have to do to be able to keep your license. You know, a 30 minute thing online, go to DVSA, whether you pay for it or not or whatever, you do this to acknowledge that you understand the changes and then you keep your license. I mean, that would be quite simple as far as I can see. Dan, you're a tech person, would that be doable by the DVSA? Yeah, I was just about to say that, actually, Terry, that I think that everything is made quicker and easier and simpler and cheaper with technology, right? And people can nod their head all they want, but it's a fact, right? We use toasters to toast bread now rather than standing there for 15 minutes over an open flame with our bread on the end of a fork, right? That's technology. It was just about simplifying a particular process. And I think the problem with the government and the way that it, that it communicates generally, not just within the DVSA, is that it's still very heavily paper-based. It kind of feels like it needs to do that. I mean, I was in the doctor's surgery waiting room today and a lady came in and she went she went up to the counter and she said, oh, I need an appointment about something. And she said, okay, well, can you go online and fill out an e-consult form, which, you know, we've all got kind of a little bit used to doing that now. She said, oh, no, no, I don't use the internet. I mean, she was only about maybe 50. Um, and, and, and she said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll phone you to talk about it. Oh, I haven't got a phone. Uh, so, so ultimately what happens is this one person out of a thousand, and you should have seen the receptionist's face, she just didn't know what to do with herself. She's like, who doesn't have the internet or a phone these days? But but unfortunately, quite, quite often the government caters for the lowest common denominator in these situations. So it says, well, look, if there's, if there's one person out of a thousand that won't have any technology, we better just write letters to everybody. And that's just too expensive to do at the moment. You know, you think about how many drivers are out there. So every, if they had to write a letter every time to say, look, you know, this is what's happening, it's just, it's just expensive, especially at a time when the country is reeling 
off the back of the measures it's had to take from COVID, as is the rest of the world. So technically, yes, it is possible to do all of these things. It would be possible to have um, an app that everybody, when they got their driving license, had to download to their smartphone if they had one, um, where they had to, you know, periodically do things and periodically take some test questions or whatever it might be. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking of ways that we can do this within what we do. Um, so yes, it, it, it's it's easier than it sounds, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But there has to be an appetite within government and DVSA, I think, sometimes to look outside of the public sector for solutions, um, and they often don't. Uh, so you know, so it's so it's a it it lend, it ends up with this kind of attitude of apathy. Everything this is an apathetic um, uh, approach to a lot of this stuff within all public sector, really, when it comes to finding digital solutions. I'm not sure I've answered your question there, as opposed to gone on and gone off on a diatribe about how we could be more efficient in this country with the way that we communicate and, and share data. But yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Well, I think you've answered it. I think the the thing is that you said the the, the DVSA are making the changes, whatever those changes may be. They're mm. then expecting the the driving instructors to implement and fix those changes, and then when the results aren't the way the DVSA would like, they then blame the driving instructors, which is a nice little circle of negativity which potentially brings us around to a point that that you raised that i think before we started recording dan which was asking about why instructors are leaving the industry i think you were saying that you something you're seeing uh, through obviously i work with my drive time you're uh, getting some feedback that a lot of instructors are, are disappearing is that right yeah i think that um yes uh, not a well not a necessarily a lot um i couldn't say that the vast majority of people you know people leave our service for a number of reasons whether it be that they don't like something we do which is rare um down to retiring or leaving the industry which is common um and it's and uh, when i ask them why you know there's just been a higher than i would have expected number of people that that have just said that i, I you know i've just had enough i, I want to I just want to leave um, and go and do some chaos. And I figure it might be something to do with the fact that when they weren't able to work during uh, lockdowns and during um, that uh, during that time, they went off and found other vocations, other careers, other things that they wanted to do that were less stressful, maybe. Um, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, chaps, but I would imagine uh, a lot of instructors become instructors really as a because whatever they were doing before fell through. Whether, whether it's because they stopped enjoying it and they wanted to finish it or they got made redundant or whatever it might be. But nobody goes through college and university to, to qualify to become an instructor. So it's very much like a, something that you almost fall into, you know, sort of at some point in your career, you, you, you're likely to fall into it because it's not something you necessarily aspire to be when you leave school. Um, and uh, so it's a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's a vocational thing, it's a lifestyle job. It's not a, it's not a, you know, necessarily a nine to five. This is my career. And, and, and that's part of the sort of rich tapestry of what makes up this industry. Some people are just, you know, I'll do three or four lessons a week or 10 lessons a week. Other people are like, I've got to get 60 hours in this week to, to, to maintain this lifestyle I have. There's a, there's a very big abundance of uh, reasons. So equally, there's going to be abundance of reasons why people leave. Um, and uh, I'm just surprised, though, that, that there seems to be a lot of people who are leaving at a point in time when there's money to be made. The demand is so high for lessons at the moment that the ability to add five pounds an hour to your lesson price is absolutely there. Nobody would bat an eyelid, yet nobody's doing it. So everybody is continuing with the same price, maybe upping their lesson price by a pound or two if they're particularly brave. 
um, you know, when they should be going a lot higher because demand is and supply are both indicating that it is possible to do that, right? Um, so why are people leaving the industry, obviously notwithstanding psychological and, and, and anxiety and, and, and any other sort of reason why, uh, why are they leaving the industry when they've got this perfect opportunity now, this perfect storm to go out there and make an absolute killing? Because, in my opinion, uh, from the people that I speak to, the, the biggest reason that people are, are, are looking at that is because they want to help and they don't feel they can. There's too much demand. I, I had a, a chat uh, with Loveday Ryder at the expo and she she said, you know, at least everyone's busy. Uh, and, and that's the biggest threat to driving instructors at the moment is we can't cope with the demand. And we're in it. We want to help because if you don't want to help, you know, you don't want to get people to progress in and get them through to that point. Um, you're probably not going to be doing it for very long. You're probably not going to do it very well. You're not going to have the reputation and everything else. So the majority are in it to help. There is that vocational element to it. A lot yeah. of us are, you know, misfits and you know, unemployables for whatever reason. I've put my hand up to that one. Uh, weirdest bunch of people ever, and I love you all. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we've all tried dealing with driving instructors. It's a weird old world. And we've found this thing that so many people love and, and really enjoy what they do, but things are getting in the way of us doing it. And the number of phone calls you're getting where, where there's people who need help, you want to help them, and you can't. You ju it's just not possible. So you're having to say, no, sorry, I can't help. And the buck stops with you. Because what we need is for the likes of DVSA to be solving problems. And they're, I get they're trying. I, I, I think they've missed a number of tricks along the way. And we need you know, just society to kind of figure out what's going on. And I think actually that's happening. We're getting a change in the format of the way people learn. More people are learning, uh, you know, I, I hate the phrase school of mum and dad, but they're learning through private practice more. They're making use of that while filling that gap while they're trying to find an instructor. I'm actually finding people are happier waiting now. They're saying, you know, let me at least get on a waiting list, but I will hang around and, you know, I appreciate you're busy. Whereas, we were almost getting told it was our fault at one point. Yeah. Um, a lot of calls were, you know, well, what do you mean you can't fit me in? And there's a there's a bit more understanding. Yeah. I think that's partly because we're clearing through the ones that were affected directly and there was a delay to their process. We're getting the ones that are coming in now, are turning 17 and, and are realising there's going to be a bit of a wait. It's not going to be immediate. Okay. They, they accept it. But it's... It is the stress factor. I don't. I don't think it is mental health aside. I think it's because of mental health that there's there's easier jobs to do. Massive respect for for everybody who's in the NHS, um, and I think there is uh, a comparison to be had for for that kind of you know that they choose to go through that stress the everyday. You know, everybody could go and get a, a less stressful job. It's whether the, the payoff works for you and whether you get what you want from it. You know, we, we could all go and become employed again. Um, but we, as I said, a lot of us are you know, um, unemployable. 
Um, we don't work well with others. We're happy on a one-to-one basis. We don't want a group of people to have to deal with. Um, and then we complain it's too lonely. Um, <laughs> so it's that mix. I, I think that's the biggest reason. And, and just to touch on the prices going up, locally, we're always a little bit careful. We've got, we've got WhatsApp networks we all talk on. We, we're always a little bit careful because we don't want to be you know, accused of price fixing and such. <laughs> having those conversations. There's always a worry there, but price has gone up by five to 10 pounds an hour. Good. And I wish that, I wish that was nationwide. I just, it's just not though. Um, and, and so I wonder, you know, when I say earlier on that there's this perfect storm at the moment that actually it's not, it's not the fact that it's a perfect storm. It's the fact that it's a storm at all that may be, um, making it difficult. And I guess if people haven't come into this for a career, they haven't come into it because they want to make um, decent money, they've come into it because it's a vocational or a lifestyle business, then you're right that those kind of logistical headaches, which take away from the joy of the job, may very well be a reason why they're leaving, which I guess would bring me on to the next point then, which is in the event that it's not the teaching that's the problem, it's the it's the business management that is. Is there uh, is there more of a call to use, you know, um, e receptionist services or other services that can answer your calls and shield you from it? Um, and I and I wonder whether some people sometimes they get they get smacked with this problem. You know, the phone's ringing too much, and I'm having to let people down. I'm having to have that negative conversation. And I hate it. Okay, well, we'll pay somebody else to to answer the phone for you then, right? And, and, and hopefully some people will come away from this and they'll think about doing this. Pay somebody else to answer the phone for you, to answer your Facebook inquiries and do all that. Pay somebody who can do that and then filters through the information so that you can just get on with doing the job you love. And if you do put three, four, five pounds extra onto your price, you can afford that person to do that for you. I think that's a, a good idea. I think it's a good example. I think that... that with all of this, there's an element of being in that vicious circle in the, there's this, this cycle of negativity. And and if we just look at the last two years as an example, you know, we initially got all, before we got put into lockdown uh, back in, when was that? April 2020, well, yeah, April 2020, the, the months before that, we had all the, the fighting amongst instructors about whether we should be working or not. So that's a real sort of negative vibe, if you like. Then we're all in lockdown and we're not earning. And you've got some people saying they should be going out to work as delivery drivers. Some people saying they want to be home. It's still, I think there was more camaraderie at that time, but there's still that negative side to it. Then we come back and then you're having to deal with cancellations because people have got COVID. Do you charge for cancellations? Do you not charge for cancellations? <laughs> then you've got people saying, put your price up. Other people saying it's wrong to put your price up at this time because you don't want to take advantage of this situation. Other people saying, and so again, you've got these conflicting opinions. Then we're in lockdown again in November when no one else is in lockdown, just driving instructors. Hairdressers went back to work. We didn't. Then we come back for Christmas. And this is obviously if we get in the driving instructors that have got COVID and potentially died or whatever. That's very flippant. I didn't mean it that flippantly. But then we're back in lockdown again at the start of last year. Then we come out of it. Then the whole thing's going over again. Then we've got the the whole fiasco around the standards check. Um, you know, you if you pass rate now enough, you get a standards check. I'm, again, I'm simplifying it, but you've got all that stuff to deal with. Then they're cancelling the, the, the B&E test, so anyone can go into a trailer anywhere they want at any time. Then, you know, it's just this, this constant cycle. And I think that if you're someone that is feeling that, and feeling that negativity and feeling that pinch, 
I don't think that's the type of person that's going to put up their prices. And then what happens, because you're not putting up your prices, because you're not feeling confident, you're feeling beaten up, you then look at other people that put up the prices and potentially saying, I've done this, which then makes you feel worse. So then you don't put up your price again. And, and again, this isn't applying to everyone, but I think that there's a lot of negativity in the industry, not just us, in a lot. And I think that it is that vicious cycle. I mean, I'm going to be careful with numbers here because I, I don't want to be too specific. But there's a couple of examples that spring to my mind straight away. There was, there was one last year, there was a driving school in Bradford that there was a sponsored post on Facebook, so a paid advert on Facebook, where they were advertising for instructors and saying that they're the highest price lessons in Bradford. And people were commenting saying, you know, you're charging too much. And then other instructors were saying, I wish I'd charge as much as you. And I had to go on and say, I'm sorry, you're not as much as me. And they were arguing with me about it. I'm saying, go and check my website. And then... I had an incident the other day at the test center where someone is literally charging seven pounds an hour. No, for a one hour less than 11 pounds an hour less than me. And I'm not particularly high priced. Again, I'm avoiding going to two specifics over numbers, but he's for a one hour lesson, he was charging 11 pounds less than me. And it, and he asked me my price. It's not the other way around. So, you know, there was, I'm not trying to give the impression I was going, oh, I'm this price. And immediately then got defensive and started trying to find reasons why he's not putting his prices up. And I just think there's this, this vicious circle of negativity that within the industry that some of us, all of us on this call, are trying to, to minimise and make more positive. And there's only so much we can do. And I think that we have to almost weed out some of the, the bad eggs and some of those will weed themselves out and some of them will be weeded out by being ignored online and, you know, and, and removed from Facebook groups or removed from WhatsApp groups or, you know, almost blackballed or whatever. And, and others will, will meander out of the industry anyway, because they suddenly realize like, like you said, Dan, there's not many people that leave school going, I want to be an instructor. You often you fall into the industry and you either love it or you love it. And I think if you love it, you should leave. And I think I've said a lot there, so I'm going to let one of you two take over. You know, I think the other thing you touched on is is that we're we're, we're naturally control freaks, uh, dual control freaks, if you like, <laughs> and um, you know we that we we want that element of control because that makes us feel happy. Um, we also live life on the edge a little bit, hurtling towards danger and what people imagine it to be. That you know you must you must be have uh, have nerves of steel and and be patient as a saint. They haven't met driving instructors if they think both of those apply or either of them even. But we we do like an element of control, which we haven't got at the moment. And it's being we're being reminded by with the, the, the tip stand standards check approach of going, you know, actually, we don't even necessarily know that we're going to be if you get the standards check thing to letter through, then you know, is, is it? Is that going to be taken away from you as well? And I think those elements, you know, and, and on the flip side, I had people phoning up when we when lockdown was finishing, basically saying, please, can you give me permission not to go back to work? Because wow. I like like you said, Terry, about not being ready to sit in the back of the car. They they weren't ready to go back into the car. And I, I think all of those factors are, you know, it, yeah, it, it is a storm, uh, and and I think for some it's a perfect storm for them to say I've had enough, because 
It's not an easy job. It's not an easy life. And uh, we love it. But sometimes there's a trade-off. Um, and you get it in all sorts of relationships. It hasn't got to be your work one. Where, you know, it sometimes it's easier to stay than leave. And other times it's easier to leave than stay. And it's not always an easy decision either way. There's no doubt that it's a, it's a complex set of things which de- which determines whether a driving instructor is, is uh, successful or not. And I think that, you know, just looking at my wife as a, as a prime example, you know, she's an amazing instructor. She's amazing with people, but she hates certain elements of the job. Um, and she puts up with the administration and the business side of it because she has to. She has no choice. She didn't come into this job because she wants to do that. Uh, you know, which is why obviously I've gone out to try and, and make it easy, easier for her, certainly. But I think that within this country, I think we have, it's a taboo subject to talk about money generally anyway. And I think that people really struggle with it. Uh, they struggle with justification for their pricing. Um, as I said in a presentation I did on supply and demand at the II Expo, and, and I'm more than happy to do it to anyone else who's interested. Um, you know, the laws of supply and demands don't really take it, you know, they're, they're market forces. They don't take in humanity, humanity. They don't take, they don't take into effect how you feel as a person to, to um, you know, and what I was trying to explain to people in that, in that presentation is that, that, you know, the price that you charge for your lessons should be dictated by the amount of money somebody is willing to pay for that time um, and how much value they put on your time. So how much, you know, if, if I'm going to, I will pay somebody a hundred pounds an hour for a driving lesson. If I feel that at the end of that hundred, uh, at the end of that hour, I've got a hundred pounds worth of value from it, right? If I feel like I've got 20 pounds worth of value from it, then I'm not going to pay a hundred pounds moving forward, am I? So, you know, it's, it's about taking yourself out as, you know, taking yourself out of a business really and saying, look, this isn't about you. The price you charge isn't a personal indictment of you as a human. It's about the service that your business delivers within the time that you're that you're going to give in return for the money. So you need to separate yourself from it. That's how that's how you eliminate this. Oh, I'm not sure if I'm worth it. Well, they're not buying you. They're buying your time and your expertise to help them learn a skill. Does that make sense? It's about it's about the separation of personal value, as in how what do we think about ourselves, and the value of of the skill that you are going to impart um, across the course of that lesson. I think there's a whole other episode we can do around pricing here, and we may dive back into that at some point. Um, so I'm going to sort of put two plus points on this, and uh, I think the second one may raise a couple of uh, responses from yourselves. So uh, the first point I'm going to make is, Chris, you mentioned it's not an easy job. And I think you're right, but the, I think a bigger problem is it's portrayed as an easy job. I think that the outside looking in, anyone wanting to be a drive, driving instructor, I know that when I started, I started with red driving school and I really didn't have a problem with red driving school. I'm happy to say that I started with them, but they didn't kind of explain fully all the the negative side to it. You need to know that. And I don't think that's put across when people sign up. I know that you're big on, on sort of the pre-PDIs, Chris, and I think that, that that's massive around that. 
But yeah, I think from the outside looking in, it looks like an easy job. And I think that's too, too much of an easy trap to fall into. But the second thing I was going to say, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to uh, leave for a minute and I'll let you two take over, is that I don't believe that it's just driving instructors that don't charge enough. Chris will be... Uh, more than aware that I say this to him on every podcast we do. There are certain people here, and I'm including my drive time and the DITC with this, that also should be at least doubling, probably tripling their, their prices. And uh, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> That's uh, lovely of you to leave us on that one. Yeah, it's uh, as I said to you before, Terry, I think that the inherent problem in this in, within this industry is well, there, there are a number of issues within this industry. One of them being is that it's full of weird and wonderful people. Um, fortunately, more wonderful than weird. Um, there is a certain malaise and apathy and, certain, and often cynicism and negativity within this industry. You talked earlier about being able to weed that out. Um, I think what will happen is uh, over the course of time, People, you know, obviously will leave and retire and new people will come on, uh, come in with new energy. And the new people that are coming in are benefiting from tools and things like ours and other sort of tools, not even necessarily software or digital things, but just a different environment um, than they than their predecessors maybe had. So my, my hope is that over the course of time that will wane. But I think part of the problem is that um, within this industry that people know the value, uh, sorry, the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Um, and what I mean by that is it's very difficult for people like us and probably people like Chris as well to go out and say to, to people, hey, guys, um, we're worth £30 a month um, because of the value that we deliver in return for that £30. Um, and we're fortunate that we have a number of customers who over the course of time said, do you know what? I'd more than happily pay that because I couldn't live without this. It literally runs my life and runs my business, runs my day. And But the problem is the vast majority of people that we're trying to reach and we're trying to digitize, move away from paper diaries and, 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 and free software, I say in inverted commas, listeners can't hear that or see that, but um, you know, it, it's not free people, um, but that's another conversation for another day. But invariably, you know, they will not engage with the service because the first thing they look at is the price tag, you know, because they want to know what the cost the amount of times I've been, how much is it? And I say, well, why don't you do a trial and you see what it does first? And then you balance that up against the amount that I'm asking you to, to, to invest in your business. And then you make a decision whether or not there's enough value in return for the cost. Yeah. Cost benefit analysis is the benefit that you're getting worth the money that you're paying. And if it's not, then you don't buy it. And if it is, you do. Um, but unfortunately, people don't have that kind of, a lot of people that come into this industry, some are business-minded, and those are the people who typically end up growing and setting up multi-car uh, multi um, schools and, and franchises, and they do very well. The vast majority, my wife included, and she'll be the first to admit this, are not business-minded. She got into it because she wanted to, to, to be a teacher, and she likes driving. She couldn't be a a teacher and she loved driving so like you went through red driving school and, and learned how to how to become an instructor and is a bloody good one but you know the, the business side of it she wouldn't have the first clue about supply and demand and what to do um so that's why i think that we're a little bit restricted with regards to how much we can charge for our services terry because because we've got to it's a fine line between people who are willing to go do you know what i'm not going to bother about the cost yet i'm just going to look at the uh, at the benefit first and then decide whether the cost is worth that benefit I, I do fully appreciate that it's um, 
it's it's apples and oranges. But I also think it's a big compliment in me telling you that you should be putting your price and, up. And it is. And, and don't get me wrong when I say to you that I really appreciate that because, you know, somebody who's been around and seen our service and, and seen other services and, 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 and understands the value that, that having a digital solution provides, um, you know that it's worth that. Um, a lot of people don't. And I just wish they would take the time to investigate it to explore it and make that decision for themselves rather than just assume uh, that it's not for them or that it's too expensive. You can't determine whether something's expensive until you've determined whether or not the, the cost outweighs the value or the cost outweighs the benefit or not. You, you just can't, right? Something might be high cost, but it's not necessarily expensive if you also get high benefit in return for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything else to add to that, Chris? I, I think the other thing that, people don't appreciate is the difficulty of of innovation of of being the the one that was there first um and you know a number of things i that i've i've done i've been responsible for weren't deliberate starting the first facebook group for driving instructors um regret it every day um but i you know it it, it was because it was there and and it was it was something that i was interested in managing that Firstly, nearly destroyed my relationship because we, you know, we every time we planned to do something, there was a problem, and you know, you end up prioritizing things, and the other half is awesome. I have to say, um, you know, she's got as bad taste in men as as uh, as Joe has with Dan, but um, you've missed that one of her flaws. Um, but I uh, love them both. Um, but you know, I, I think that. It's very easy when we talk about pre-PDIs. They come into the industry. My, my favourite example, the big learner relay. They think it's perfectly bloody normal for a load of driving instructors to get together nationally and engage and raise thousands of pounds. Half a million, I think, we're at collectively now across, you know, since it, it began. That's normal. And normal is is something that has changed and that didn't exist when i came into the industry instructors weren't talking mm -hmm. they weren't engaging in the test center and you know then facebook came along and we started talking more and engaging more and ditc's the next step for that for me because it it's to allow people like yourselves to be able to be found more easily and the more we can do that, the more community we can have, the better it will get. But the cost, not necessarily financial, but in effort of, of, of being the, the innovators, the changers in, in, in the situation. And, and, and I think, you know, my drive time was the first of, of the, the solutions that were out there and I remember talking to, to to Dan and part of the reason that he married a driving instructor was was to engage with the community um because um <laughs> because it was we had the conversation saying if you haven't got a green badge instructors won't talk to you that's changing that is changing that and and, and we we laugh now but it was so true you know and it it is a case of of looking at at how the community is evolving um, and being able to launch and, and shout about new things that actually they're embracing new more, they're interested in more, and it, there is this rolling effect. But if we go back to, you know, 
14, 15 years ago, it was a very different world. Technology has helped and, and it is it is, you know, there are those things happening. We've still got the same attitude towards price and profit and and maybe that's evolving now as well. But I think the reason it doesn't evolve very quickly is because people don't get business training when they become driving instructors, right? That is a fundamental flaw. And not na- not naming any names, because I think this is prevalent throughout all trainers, but the amount of people I get coming to me saying, I didn't even know I needed to be self, you know, to, to, to have a self-assessment. Um, and it was a real shock to me when it happened. And I didn't understand and I haven't put tax by and, you know, oh, I've got this massive tax bill. The reason is, is because quite often, People who train instructors, I'm sure I don't speak for you in this respect, Chris, or for, for you and Ian, um, because those who are, uh, those who, some people have a business plan, which I'm trying to be very careful with my words here, whereby it doesn't suit their purpose or their business plan to make driving instructors self-sufficient when it comes to the way that they are self-employed, right? You said earlier, you know, it, it, it's a difficult job, and I would argue it's not a job. Actually, it's a business. A job is someone when you go, you turn up and you do a nine to five thing, whatever it might be, and you get paid by someone who takes all the pressure of tax and employment law away from you and insurance. They take all that away from you, which is why it's also sometimes good to, especially now, instead of leaving the industry because of all the pressure of your phone ringing, join a franchise and get protected by somebody who knows what they're doing and can answer that phone for you. Right. So, you know, I would say sometimes it's right for people to join franchises. Sometimes it's not. But for, if you're struggling with the business management side of it, join a franchise so that they can handle it. Right. Because even though you may, you may have to pay a little bit of money for that privilege, it means that you get to carry on doing what you love without all the hassle that comes with doing it, uh, with managing the business. Right. Let's go back. Sorry. I know that I'm digressing and I apologize, but it's not in the interests of somebody who, who who trains PDIs who then wants them to go on to their franchise to teach them how to be self-sufficient in business, right? And by business, I mean everything. I mean marketing, I mean pricing, I mean, you know, all of the things I spent four years writing articles on in The Intelligent Instructor are all about these things because the amount of instructors I had coming to me who didn't have the first idea about how important it was to even keep their car clean. You know, and 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 the the power of a clean car, the power of a, a nice learning environment. You know, um, but I think going back to the whole technology thing, I think what's happening in community. When I first started, when roughly around the time when I met you, Chris, so before we launched, uh, must have been 2011, 2012, when I was doing my initial research into the industry, and I spoke to someone who I love dearly and has been massively beneficial for us, who told me when I said to him, "Look, I want to create a community here." Um, Mr. X, um, and I really want to provide a platform that uh, that brings that brings instructors together. And he said, "Dan, don't bother." He said, "It's just not worth it." This is only ten years ago. He said, "It's not worth it. They won't engage. They don't like community. They don't like being kind of together and working together." And I raised my eyebrows, but you know, kind of, I, I've seen that by virtue of the fact that you started that Facebook group. And of course, others have come along as they always do, but you were there as a trendsetter and and, and, and you marked that path in the same way that Terry is creating a, 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 you know, a route to information. And even if people don't agree with anything that we say today on, on this call, at least it's food for thought, at least it starts them thinking about things that they can't possibly be thinking about if they're sitting there watching EastEnders. Right. So hats off to you. Hats off to Terry. Hats off to anyone um, who puts themselves out there and says, do you know, what, guys, I'm going to be a source of knowledge. I'm going to be a source of information and content. And you can either accept it or you can't. You know, these days, 
the 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 60 70 80 year olds are now leaving the industry they're the ones who were wedded to their paper diary they were the ones who were you know fraught with panic about the idea of making tax digital happening because you know they would have to declare they're the ones who fell short of the SEISS payments because they were so used to pocketing cash right that generation is leaving the industry right they're leaving and in are coming your 30 40 year olds who are joining the industry now and are used to using facebook they're used to using apps on their smartphones and what will happen is it will just be accelerated as technology does it it accelerates change right and what will happen is all these you know people who have old ways of doing things and old ways of thinking and want to stay in their protective little bubble they will end up getting pushed out quicker than the previous generation did because technology is you know students will demand it and the people who are using it will perform better than the people who don't i um i'm going to say one sort of thing on that before i move on um i've got a bonus episode of the podcast coming out on thursday the 10th of march uh it's a little bonus thing i'm doing every every week over on my premium and i'm putting the occasional one out onto this this feed and it's called backstage pass and this first episode i'm talking about what goes into making a podcast and i think it's relevant to mention now because i think that with my drive time with the DITC with the instructor podcast what people see is that they see the product they see the final thing they don't see what goes into it so <laughs> i say you'll you'll hear it on thursday when this bonus episode comes out but it, for me to do the instructor podcast weekly one episode a week takes 30 hours a month and that's like a week's work and that's one episode a week and I bear in mind when as this podcast goes out this two today so you can read into that what you will but I don't think people always appreciate that when they look at price the same way when we're selling a driving lesson we try and tell people oh yes but we've had this years of training and we've paid for this training and we've done this and that's why we can justify charging this much those same instructors that say that see the product and and don't look at the reason why sort of the price behind it so just thought I mentioned for that in but I do want to just finish up on one final thing because we've kind of gone down talking about the the negative side of the industry again and I think it's important to finish on a positive and Chris is laughing because I think he knows where I'm going with this uh, I'm getting good at these segues driving instructor day is March the 16th which is all about celebrating the positive side of the industry so Chris not Christopher Chris what are you doing to celebrate driving instructor day I'm getting bre- uh, brek fat um which was a typo at the time and I thought it was quite amusing so we've kept it um uh, the the better driver training team are all going for uh, a breakfast um and then they can get on and do their day and they can do what they choose to um and uh, we're going to go and celebrate it together we're going to um not have a meeting where we're trying to figure out how to solve problems we're just going to go and uh, have some nice food um and and a, you know a nice chat which will probably be about work and bye bye because we don't know anything else and we've got nothing else in common uh, which is one of the things i love about about the job um but yeah it, uh, we we're going for breakfast um but i know uh, a, a group locally that are going go-karting um they've organized a, a, a mass go-karting event i've told them they must take photos and send them to you um i know uh Carlos Comendes has uh organized um the let me get it right the red roundabout yes really so, is it no red roundabout relief yes because it's from yeah. driving the trip today to comic relief isn't it yes so so it is running running the, the that the those days 
um and you know it, it links the two together beautifully um so he he's busy promoting that the, uh, some great stuff going on you know and uh really really looking forward to seeing how embraced it is and uh what people get up to because instructors are innovators they do see the world in a slightly different way let's see what they do with it but um yeah i i beautifully placed in the middle of the week so that we could we can actually take a breath and i'm looking forward to that just before i throw over to you dan uh, i'm just going to say that if and this going to you as well chris uh, if whatever you're doing make sure that there are pictures make sure they're on social media whether it's twitter or facebook or instagram or snapchat or wherever you do it and use the hashtag driving instructor day and if uh, we're on that platform we will share that we will retweet it we'll do whatever because this is again another way to spread positivity and goodness throughout the industry so dan uh, are you doing anything you are part of the industry you may not be an actual driving instructor, but neither is chris so <laughs> are you doing anything to uh, to celebrate driving instructor today um, you've caught me on the hop. Um, we've got ideas um, in terms of what we want to do, but I don't have anything that I can share on this yet, I'm afraid. I, I just want to say, though, what a brilliant idea. We're absolutely behind it. I think, you know, we could, yes, you know, you could look at it and say we we can talk about all the negatives within the industry, all the difficult. I think it's it comes from a place of love, though. It comes from a place of us wanting to highlight things because, you know, you can't fix the problem until you know what's causing it. Um, and I think that, it's brilliant. I've certainly noticed a massive change over the last 10 years um, in terms of how much people are talking about these things, how much people are engaging, um, whether it be attending the II Expo or whether it's joining a local association or, or, or just setting up a WhatsApp group with local instructors. It makes such a difference to, to, to feel like you're part of something. Um, you know, this podcast and, and the DITC, it, it all makes a difference to people. So I've massively hope and encourage that people just get involved with the industry and, and don't lock themselves away because a lot of instructors do that but yeah I'm, I'm hoping that it, i'm hoping it engages you know it's, it's an awful year so so who knows but do you know what I, I i can see yeah year one year two year three year four let's just have some fun um and and and, and be a community yeah i um i think that when we pushed out this year it was more almost uh Let's just do it and see what happens. There's no big push. There's no big promotion. Yes, there's a Facebook page. Yes, there's a website. Um, yes, there's a Twitter feed or whatever, but there's no big push there. It's just let's put it out there, see how it's received, so it works. And I've genuinely been really um, impressed because it's like even with the Instructor Podcast, for example, that gets criticism online from people that haven't listened to that episode and they will <laughs> complain about that episode. So... But I have yet to see one negative comment about driving the trip today. Now, there may well be. It may just be that I haven't seen it. But I have received text. I have received messenger messages and Instagram messages and comments on Facebook about people saying that they love it. They just want to take a moment. And as for what I'm doing, uh, I am holding a Zoom call with my uh, premium members uh, at 7 p.m. on that evening. Throughout the day, I will likely be on social media sharing all the stuff that hopefully some people do and use the, uh, the hashtag driving instructor day. If it's a bit long, use ADI day. But try and use driving instructor day. It's easier to find because uh, no one else uses that one. Uh, I did uh, for another project I'm involved in, I coined the uh, hashtag Terry Tuesday which I thought was quite clever until I found out was also used by an American cheerleading outfit. 
So my uh, hashtags were getting slightly confused there. Um, yeah, but driving instructor, make sure you uh, do something. Whether you, even if you've got a test booked or lessons that you can't avoid, do something that day. Maybe, I don't know, give your pupil a fiver off that day or, or make them do the lesson in fancy dress or, or, you know, wear a mask or something crazy and outlandish and, um, and, and, and you know, hashtag driving instructor day. Uh, but we'll leave that there for now. Either of you two have anything else you'd like to raise or mention before we disappear because it's been quite a, an impressive episode. Um, I just want to say thank you for having me on um, and I'll always come back because I've always got an opinion to share. Um, but no, I've really enjoyed it and thank you. And, and really just thank you more for making this happen in the first place because you're right, a lot does go into it and it's it's right that you know, you're know you commended for that effort. So well done. Uh, are you going to say something equally as nice, Chris? Or... <laughs> I don't know if I can bring myself. <laughs> I, no, I, I I love talking to you guys. I I think um, it is like driving instructor day, all coming from a good place, whether we agree or not um, on on various things. Um, like so many, just want people, even our competition, to be successful because it. It grows the platform. It grows what we do, and and you know. So, whoever's listening, um, just take a minute to reflect on where you're at and what you would like to do to make it better. And then, as Terry said, with driving instructor day, just do it. We'll see what happens. So thank you guys for listening to the Instructor Podcast Green Room. This is the num- Green Room number 16, which is quite impressive because we're on the side in season two. There is a slight structure change for this season because we are now doing it monthly. I cannot facilitate the uh, the weekly episodes of the Green Room along with everything else that I do. So we've changed this to monthly and there'll be more group-based, much like today, which was fun. Um, so make sure you go out and check out www.theinstructorpodcast.com and get all the links for My Drive Time and the DITC and all all the other stuff we do over there for the instructor podcast uh, and i'm going to say thank you to you guys for joining me as well chris uh, and i'm throwing this one on you in one sentence tell people why they should join the ditc because you're worth it and we want to make sure that gets recognized i like that you put and in there to, to pad it out uh, dan in one in one sentence i made myself laugh hold on in one sentence tell people why they should join my drive time because your time is worth more than doing boring admin and I will give you one sentence as to why you should listen to the Instructor Podcast. It's because I get shit up guests like these. And thank you for listening. Booyah! The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.